The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. everybody welcome to another episode here at the kick pod the podcast dojo for inspirational dojo talk or should i say martial arts talk i am your host tj williams fourth three black belt in the chuck norris system uh care to talk about my martial arts experience discussing analyzing martial arts based subjects and highlighting martial arts of all styles all around the world past present and future okay so now i am back home because the last episodes i did was um in las vegas when i was attending a martial arts convention which is um which was um a definitely amazing a lot of learning experience so definitely for next yeah. year i'm definitely getting ready for that fifth degree yeah nice. a, a year from now I'll be having a black jacket and five stars. Nice. Uh, yeah. All right. So, of course, uh, for this episode, of course, um, I have a guest that's not too far from me, about two-hour drive, so I'm back home. All right. So he's um, come from Orland, um, New York. Of course, he's a 10th-degree um, black belt in um, uh, AKT combative um, jiu-jitsu. Of course, eight, AKT stands for American uh karate tactics i don't know if that's the same name or it changed but um nevertheless um we can talk about that oh yeah definitely all right so of course um very um bro i'm sorry i got it's like different ways of um pronouncing your last name so yep. how would you say how would you say your last Broughton name is, Broughton is fine oh uh, Broughton. so very yeah. Broughton, everybody so he's come to come to my show to come talk about martial arts and his journey so i'm gonna say hello to him so how you doing there barry I'm doing great, TJ. Thank you so much for the invitation to talk with you today. It's great to be here. Yeah, that's um, I guess my goal for my podcast to really reach out to martial artists out there. And so far, it's been going pretty much as far as like um, I'm trying to get um, mostly other countries. But yeah, I got Canada so far. So Good. yeah, so I'm definitely looking for well, other locations. <laughs> well, hopefully this will continue to, to grow and expand for you and open up more opportunities. All right. Okay, so of course, um, you're you've been doing martial arts for like um, pretty much longer than I have. So what was, what would you say how long you've been doing martial arts? Oh my gosh. Uh, I guess it probably just depends on how you count the years. Um, I guess in traditional martial arts training, um, uh, 42, 43 years, but I guess if you consider the wrestling and grappling um, that I started in third grade, I think third or fourth grade um, that pushes me to probably 50 some years. Um, so a lot of people, I think, oftentimes don't consider wrestling um, as a martial art, but certainly back with the Greco-Roman times, they certainly did. And uh, so I wrestled through elementary school and junior high and high school. And because ground fighting and grappling is a big component of the system that we teach today, that's why I include that, because certainly um, wrestlers have a really strong uh, sense of awareness of body spatial awareness and where they're at in space um, that is really important for throws and grappling and, and ground fighting. So, so that's why I kind of uh, include that in there. So I've kind of got a diverse background thanks to the army and uncle Sam and, 
and uh, allowing me to train with all kinds of different people all around the world. Oh, amazing. All right, so we're going to kind of get into your like current um, background later on within the show. Sure. But, uh, but for right now, we're going to go in a time machine. So you're going to take us back in time to like uh, where this all began. Well, before this all began for you. So basically, the first question would be, how would you describe yourself before martial arts? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I... I guess I, the, the best description, I just did not have a lot of self-confidence. Um, you know, you hide it well, you cram, cram it down in, not the best of uh, childhood, um, you know, pretty meager background. Um, but through martial arts, it gave me the confidence and still the confidence in me. And I guess the willingness to take risks that I didn't have prior to that. And um, once I started training in martial arts and began to realize I could do things that other people couldn't do, then it began to instill a sense of confidence um, and uh, just the willingness to go out on the edge and, and uh, take risks that um, other people that I knew weren't doing. And so it, um, it's really kind of helped me in, in that regard. Yeah, it's like martial arts, usually like you have to have, have something that like boosts up your self-confidence and definitely martial yeah. arts is like that number one thing that, um, that people would, 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 would actually do to actually boost that confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that's pretty much the same way with me. It's like I didn't have that. Well, I pretty much I could say I had like that um, condition of ADHD. No, I had that energy, Mm -hmm. but it was like I need to at least use it the correct way. I mean, I wouldn't have that energy, but, you know, it was like I didn't have no control. I mean, really. Yeah, I think oftentimes you need an outlet, you need some structure in that outlet that, that helps you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So what would you think like the first push? I know you mentioned that you did um, wrestling in um, the third grades, so which is, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like a, almost a base of um, doing martial arts. So yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, on top of that, um, we're talking the 1970s and it's 1960s, actually 1970s. Um, in the early 1970s, I think it's probably 1973 was when the television series Kung Fu came out. I don't know if that, this might be before your time. I don't know if you're familiar with that. David Carradine yeah. um, played a Shaolin monk. Um, so that movie came or television series came out. Uh, the movie Billy Jack uh, had come out in both of those. And I know it's old school and a lot of people aren't even sure what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but um, it just it intrigued me. You know, it was like the... Um, the duality that these guys were were dealing with, you know, they had this um, inter turmoil that they had going on, but they were kind of trying to hold it down and, and live a life of peace. But sometimes they're provoked that they actually have to use their martial arts technique to um, quell whatever the the um, the situation was at the time. And I was really intrigued by that because I had my own inner battles that I was dealing with, and uh, having been like I said, wrestled at that moment. This is just really cool that not only they're able to control a person, but doing these high flying kicks and spinning type stuff and things like that. I just love that. And so it just kind of intrigued me. Um, and so, you know, back in those days, you look in the phone book and start making phone calls, you know, and, and that just kind of um, pushed me to start seeking out who can I learn, learn from. Yeah. That, I mean, that's pretty much the start. Like you watch those, like for me, my time, it was like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, sure, yeah, car- cartoons. Yeah. Of course, uh, uh, probably around my time be Jackie Chan and um, yeah, yeah all pretty much uh, up to date. Um, 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 
Michael J. Michael J. White. Yeah, him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you know, and all these guys, they probably didn't even realize it when they were doing it on the impact they're going to have on other people's lives, not just for pure entertainment, but how it motivated guys like you and I and all these other people that have been doing martial arts their whole life. That you know, for us, it's not just a ha- a hobby, something that we do. A lot of us it ends up being a lifetime pursuit, and it becomes a, a strong thing that that um, defines your character. And so the, the neat thing is when you talk to some of these folks that were um, in the movies or in these television shows, they didn't even realize what it was that they were doing at the time. So it's, it's pretty amazing how something like that can inspire a young kid to seek something out that's going to put their life on a totally different trajectory. Uh, amazing. Definitely. Okay. So kind of getting back to the subject with wrestling. Um, I know uh, with wrestling, there's like people you watch um, like, um, not like um, Greco-Roman type wrestling, like the Olympic type wrestling, but there's the other side of wrestling. Um, so I call it like the sports entertainment wrestling. Sure. Yeah, you so, do that, don't you? Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much what I do. So, uh, yeah, well, cool. it's great that I um, incorporate martial arts in that and that everything that yeah. I do that is come naturally. So, yeah. 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 So you kind of have a edge on a lot of the other guys. And I know there's schools around that actually teach, you know, the the uh, the the entertainment wrestling. Um, so good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, they're it's like amazing athletes. That's for sure. You know, some of these guys that are on the circuit that are out there fighting, you know, almost every night that are traveling around the country, they take a lot of abuse on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, I'm pro net practice. So, I mean, I don't plan on going around the world, but you know, definitely it's, well, I had not totally took the taint of soul out of me, but you know, it really, but mostly before I got into wrestling, it was like martial arts and, you know, that's taken a lot of toll. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So you, of course, going into your pushing the martial arts, can you remember your first lesson, like the first class you ever took? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. It's uh, back in the recesses there somewhere. Um, I started martial arts. It was actually uh, had a push from a friend of mine that I was working with, um, and he started training and he's telling me about it. And I was kind of blown away that, that, uh, he was training, um, you know, cause we were in high school at the time and, um, it was in a little small church that was this tiny little thing. And it was down in the basement and the instructor was renting the basement out. And the basement was probably only like 15 foot wide by 20 long or something like that. And the ceilings were barely seven and a half feet tall. There was air ducts going down the center, light bulbs you know bare light bulbs hanging out of the ceiling so you had to be careful where you jumped or or kicked so you didn't hit <laughs> your head on something and um so i kind of walked down in this little stanky you know dark little uh, well it was a dojo at the time you know um, even though it was a church upstairs um and we had to go outside in the grass to spar uh so it was it was you know, they you know back, back then you just immediately get thrown right in and the instructor knew I had wrestled. And so, hey, we're sparring tonight. You want to jump in on sparring? Uh, yeah, sure. Man, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Clashing shins with kicks. And, you know, it, was, <laughs> it was an ugly, hot mess. I know that. <laughs> and definitely with sparring is like, um, of course, I guess years ago, you didn't have to um, use like um, foam oh, pads and all that no, stuff. Yeah, we yeah. didn't have hand pads, feet pads, mouth guards, cups. We didn't have any of that. Shoot. I remember the first few tournaments back then, the Junri, remember the Junri um, sparring gear that first came out that was oh. kind of a commercial 
stuff, you know, when you get through century, I guess, way back when. And um, shoot, the first few tournaments, it was optional, you know. And uh, so we all thought, hey, if you're wearing that, man, you got it's that's for the wimps, you know. And, <laughs> and everybody had chipped teeth and all that type of stuff back in the day. It was uh, you just didn't wear any of that type of stuff. But fortunately, we've learned through that, you know, I mean, I think sometimes we think we have to be this uh, tough, macho, bravado um, type stuff. But um, when you beat yourself up like that for decades, it just really shortens your learn, shortens your your career. And so fortunately, we're much smarter nowadays. And and, uh, you know, a lot of the equipment's mandatory. Sometimes it might be overused. um, But uh, either way, you know, it's uh, I think we've made a, a lot of progress in and the sport applications since that time. Yeah, I know with, um, of course, with tournaments, you know, they have like a uh, different um, type of sparring, um, um, uh, what was it say, divisions, like you got, of course, like regulars, like point sparring, um, continuous. And of course you have something, the Kumite, like full contact. Yeah. Yep. So definitely yeah. your time, it was basically full contact, you know, yeah. you had to take yeah. like a bare fist to the face. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah yeah those are fun days you know it's uh kind of crazy that we did that stuff but you know you things evolve over time you know and uh so i that was good for the industry i think at the time but um we had things not changed it wouldn't be as prolific as it is now i don't think because you just would have weeded out you just people just didn't have very long training careers yeah awesome yeah. Uh, what would you say your um your base style would be like um if you um what would you say your first black belt test would that you ever did? Uh, my first black belt was in a system that was a uh, it was an Americanized hard style of kung fu. It was called William Yanjing, and it was basically um, a kung fu style that was integrated with Ishinryu and uh, Taekwondo, and so it's kind of a an eclectic type system. Uh, back in the 1970s and so that was kind of my base style but there was no grappling no throws or anything that was purely a stand-up striking kicking type style but I immediately because of my wrestling background um, I immediately started incorporating grappling and wrestling techniques and throws and takedowns and things like that with my very first student 40 some years ago who happens to still be training with me today. And uh, so um, I immediately began incorporating that type of stuff. And uh, so then over the years, I, like I said, being in the army, I got to train with a lot of different people and a lot of different locations and learning all the different things and just infused things over the years. Um, and so it's just kind of evolved into what I, what it is that I teach today. And it is AKT combative jujitsu. So, you know, I know a lot of systems, especially nowadays, they, uh, they'll teach some stand-up striking stuff and then they'll get a little bit of ground fighting and then they'll try to incorporate some grappling and they kind of do it all kind of segmented type stuff. And I know back in the day, even in your system, in the Chuck Norris system, there's some grappling stuff, right? But that's, I think usually at, at black belt, if I remember correctly, and it usually wasn't at the, at the color belts. But for us, it's it's all integrated right out of the gate. And what I noticed years ago is that uh, there's a lot of folks that try to uh, incorporate different systems or different styles, like stand up, integrating ground technique, or somebody's got a ground background, their ground fitting background, they try to incorporate some stand up striking techniques. 
but what happened, I think a lot of times is they never really fully learn how to integrate them so that they look totally different when they're doing a different fighting at a different range. And so I kind of jokingly say they kind of look like they're schizophrenic, you know, when they're in fighting, then they look like a certain style. They're fighting long distance. They look like another style. They're doing throws to look like another style and then the ground look like another style and so they're always kind of changing and never really realizing they can integrate all that stuff and just because you're on the ground does not mean that you can't strike and just because you're standing up does not mean that you can't grapple and so if you learn how to integrate all that stuff so that's right from day one of your training then you're do- you're learning all that how to transition from one range and one plane um, right out of the gate that it just becomes seamless and flows much more effectively and efficiently, I think, yeah. at least for me and my students. Yeah. The kind of um, what you were kind of saying is kind of going back to history, like with um, the, the, of the, the great, the creation of um, Taekwondo and um, tanks to do like, of course, when <laughs> Japan um, took over Korea and of course they were forbidden to um, do the style that they were studying. And then you got that one guy that kind of escaped all that and went to another country and of course yeah you know he went to china yeah. to learn some other uh martial arts styles and then of course yeah. he comes back and then of course there there you go taekwondo tanks to do yeah so i kind of relate what you're saying about like integrating like other styles and like the style that you were taught in and yeah, yeah. just to make that look better yeah. yeah well i think a lot of times i mean i'm sure you've seen it through your training because you're what you're a fourth degree now yeah yeah and so um you know, how many folks have you seen that they've trained in another system and uh, then they come train with you? And so if you're doing something that has a strong Korean background and then you got somebody who's got a strong Japanese background, they're trying to do a Korean system. Well, you move differently. Right. And so it feels weird to them that um, or somebody who's purely done pure stand up striking and all of a sudden you're teaching them, you know, to to roll around and grapple on the ground. I had a student of mine years ago. He said um, and he'd, he'd been training in other systems and. And I'm teaching them how to do break falls and then teach them how to do some throws and takedowns and then how to transition to the ground um, from there. And he says, oh, wait a second. I've been learning all my life to stand up and walk. And now you're trying to teach me to play on the ground. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Just like when you were a kid, you know. So so we just try to make it so it's not so cumbersome for, for somebody to uh, to be strong in one area and then try to integrate um, another range or plane of, of fighting or, or defense. So our system is primarily what we consider a reality-based um, personal protection, self-defense system. We do do sport. We do compete in sport jujitsu, but that's secondary to the reality stuff, what we do. Yeah, I can relate. Like, well, with our style, we kind of call it ground combatives and stand-up combatives. And yeah, yeah. that's, I mean, we well, in terminology, you know, with ground combatives, that's pretty much Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And yet mm-hmm. with stand-up combat, that's like Krav Maga. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. so I can really pretty much relate what you're actually saying, like, really. I mean, it's good, yep. it's good that you know how to defend yourself standing up, but, you know, you have to be well knowledgeable when you're fighting on the ground because you never know. You might be on the ground, and if you don't know what you're doing, then you're, then you're in trouble. Yeah, I wouldn't want to fight on the ground if I have to. I love it because that was what my I did first, you know, is, is wrestling, you know, and, and I love going to the ground, but that's not the place I want to be in a street fight for any, you know, for any reason. And heck, we live in, you know, 
Western New York where it gets snowy and icy and you don't know what's going to happen. You might slip on the ice, step off a curb, who knows what, and you could end up on the ground and have two people on top of you. You don't want to stay there. You want to be out of there. So, but you better be able to fight your way out. Right. Yeah. I would say like, probably if you had like a new student, it's like you, you kind of have to start them on the ground. It's like, yeah, you know, you start, this is where you're going to end up being most of the time. So I'd rather have you learn how to get, get uh, defend yourself on the ground before I have you defend yourself standing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we do both. And, uh, you know, and then it's uh, how, how do you get up properly? You know, I mean, too many times people are vulnerable. They're vulnerable just trying to change planes, trying to get up from the ground and then leave themselves vulnerable. You know, we tell our students all the time, you know, just because bad guys are knuckleheads doesn't mean they don't have friends that are going to jump in and, and take you just because you happen to take somebody else out. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah we always got to teach them like how to get up properly. I mean, you don't just, you know, don't get straight up. You don't just stand straight up right. while somebody's over on top of you. I mean, they'll put you back down. That's right. Um, yes. Yes. All right. So kind of going into like uh, the creation. Well, of course you ha- are, have a um, knowledgeable in anatomy. So that's pretty mm-hmm. much a, like pretty much double the indemnity in martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I was fortunate enough that um, after being out of high school for a few years, um, um, you know, so you go different ways, you know, and so long story short, I ended up joining the army um, to get an education and I went in as a combat medic. Um, and fortunately, Uncle Sam kept on paying me to go to school and I ended up becoming a battalion medical officer. And uh, got out after nine years and continued my education and did uh, some specialty training, surgery training in orthopedic surgery and, and sports medicine and did that for years. Um, I was always active in martial arts and, and teaching through all that time. And just as I learned anatomy, I began thinking, well, shoot, if I apply what I'm learning in medicine maybe this will help me with the techniques that I'm doing. And I talk about this in my recent book, um, Comprehensive Anatomy for Martial Arts. Is during, I I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was many, several decades ago, during a cadaver lab, you know, where you're learning anatomy and physiology, you have to dissect cadavers as gross and barbaric as that might sound to some people, (laughs) but you got to have real hands-on, you know, experience, right? You can't just learn it from the pages of a book without having some real life application to it when people's lives are at stake. And so as I'm dissecting this shoulder, I'm thinking, you know, jeepers, this is not quite what I imagined a shoulder looks like on the inside. You see it on pictures, um, but it just didn't seem like quite what I was envisioning. And so I'm kind of turning the, the humerus, the arm bone, and had my finger down in there, kind of playing with the head of the humerus. And boom, I popped the, dislocated the shoulder joint. And I thought, wow, so that's kind of how an arm bar, a bent arm bar works. Huh. And so, um, you know, but on a cadaver it's not real fresh tissue and it's soaked with formaldehyde and so it's not really doesn't give you a real full appreciation of of the anatomy but as i was doing my orthopedic surgery uh, training my first time i did a surgical procedure where the shoulder is wide open on a living live human being moving the shoulder through the full range of motion with it exposed i thought wow if i just tweak 
my arm bar a little bit, it's going to be much more effective than what I'm doing now, the way it's been taught to me. Um, and sure enough, it worked. And I was sold. I thought, wow, so I've got to try to figure out how do I apply all this intimate understanding of, of human anatomy into my martial arts training? And so it helped me with getting my kicks higher, you know, knowing which way your foot's supposed to point on it for your post foot and where's your knee, how do you do your pelvic tilt, you know, all those things that you learn in kicking styles, but just to a greater degree of, of uh, nuances. Um, and so I just began incorporating that stuff with my students. And I began using the terminology in the vernacular that you use in medicine in orthopedics, in sports medicine, um, with my students, when I'd be teaching something, that's the vernacular that I would use so that you're more precise on the verbiage that you're using. So rather than saying, okay, turn your hand over, and a student's like, what, what do you mean by turn your hand over? But if I say, okay, supinate, they know that it means palm up. If I say pronate, they know that it means palm down. If I say, okay, put your arm distal to that, they know what I'm talking about. And so it's much more efficient, much more effective, and it takes the guesswork out of what it is that we're doing in anatomy. And it makes it so we all understand better what it is that we're trying to teach and get across. And so because we just use it as everyday verbiage, it's like our students talk about that all the time, you know? And so, so when I teach seminars around the country, uh, I kind of sprinkle a lot of that stuff in. Um, just so that students uh, or participants in seminars are are getting exposure to different ways of presenting things and teaching and, and learning. And I just think it makes, for me as a, as a martial arts instructor, it just makes it more fun. So like almost every martial arts class for the past four decades has kind of been an anatomy class as well. Um, and students, I think, like learning that uh, as well. It's kind of been funny because, you know, some of our students have gone off to college after they've trained for whatever, 10 years or whatever, they go to college and they're taking biology classes and they've already know a lot of the verbiage and vernacular um, that they're going to be using. So it's just kind of fun that way. Yeah, I guess like as a martial arts, it's always best to at least know a little bit about anatomy and like how yeah. things work with um, techniques. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, that was kind of the impetus for, for the book is that everybody wants to know anatomy. And I think they know the importance of it, but it's hard because a lot of times what people do is they look at a wall chart, like of the muscular system or of the skeletal system, and they'll kind of memorize where the bones are at, but they never really learn the physiology or the kinesiology of how those work together and um, what it takes to move the human frame. Otherwise, if you're just memorizing a wall chart, it's just you kind of know where the anatomy is. So what my idea was with this book was to make it more comprehensive, to describe the anatomical structures, how it is it, it works with other systems, and then to sprinkle throughout what are the martial arts relevance for that anatomical structure or structures and the clinical significance of it. How is it something's injured or damaged or how do you prevent injury uh, to that? And uh, so it was kind of an ambitious project, um, but I, because again, because I travel in the country teaching seminars, oftentimes I'm teaching seminars with other people that are doing seminars as well. And they're great martial artists, they're great practitioners, but sometimes they're just not quite describing things as accurately as they shouldn't. So I realize that we perceive things um, a little bit differently. You know, as, as a classic example, oftentimes 
when you talk to people about making a fist and they think about knuckles, oftentimes people are, are imagining this round marble-like thing in their fist that forms a knuckle. And it's really not, you know, it's just the end of the bone of, as you probably know, of your metacarpal bone. You bend your finger down and it's exposing the cartilage on the end of, of your hand bone, not your finger bone. And so you're striking with your hand bone, not your, not some round arbitrary knuckle, you know, that people often perceive it to be. Um, so I tried to make it so that it's informative and educational, um, but make it so that people can apply what is they're getting to their everyday practice of martial arts. Yeah, but for with me, I kind of uh, want to incorporate my um, fitness um, in the martial arts, and sure. you know, just like tell them like for a thrusting front kick, you know, it should feel like you're pushing or a leg press. Like for kids, I mm-hmm. say you're like kicking a door open, but for adults, if you go to gym, that's leg press, so yeah. you know what yeah. muscles you're using. So basically, they want to use the right muscles for that thrusting front kick. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you're teaching fitness, then you're, you, I'm sure you do the same thing. You, you've got to talk, talk to the person from where they're at, you know, what's their experience. And so if they know what a leg press is, that's how you do it, you yeah. know, but uh, so that's just part of being a good instructor. So it sounds like, like you're hitting it out of the park with that, you know, cause yeah. kids can think through, Oh, I'm going to kick a door open. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And uh, also with kicking is there's, there's accuracy. It's like if you're doing the thrusting kick right, the the like the object that you're kicking should go straight. Like use like right. I usually place like a focus pad on top like a like another like um like a folk not like a, a shield or something or mm-hmm. like and I have it sit there's like the object of a thrusting front kick, you need to kick it straight at the wall. And if you right. if it goes up, then that means you're flicking the kick. Yep, Damn. you're arcing it rather than Damn. having yep. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way of doing that. Okay, I'm gonna have to steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> accuracy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and no, uh, no. Also, with anatomy, like um, pressure points or like knockout points. Usually, I t- like I try to um, do like um, like vernacular kind of um, like talk, saying like you hit somebody from the back of the head. That's like the external occipital protuberance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I usually I usually say that long yeah. word. The students are like, yeah. "What is that?" I say, yeah. "It's the bump in the back of your head." The, uh, it, yeah, that's the knockout point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. But when you say that repeatedly, you know, and you just use it, it just becomes part of their vernacular as well. You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's just the way to do it. It's just like repetition. And so the way I try to remind people sometimes because I'll say, "Well, keepers, that's hard learning it that way." Well, you know, so was. The English language, when you first learned it, when you were a toddler, you know, it's the repetition that you, that makes it easy for you. So. Hey. Okay. So what was your like inspiration uh, toward um, creating your um, own dojo? Like, yeah. Um, you know, I really, I never set out to be a founder of my own system. You know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, it's like, that's what they, they're planning on doing. And, and so they're studying different systems and different styles. Um, with the intent of doing that, that was never my objective. I was very faithful and loyal to the system that, that I was in. It's just that I had, because of my opportunities to travel around and teach and learn from so many people, because I traveled around the world and um, was able to learn a lot of different things, that I was just always incorporating that into my teaching curriculum, no matter what it was that I was, I was teaching. And because of the system that I was in, in order to get fifth degree, you had to, um, when you were tested, um, you had to incorporate new techniques and new concepts. And um, 
new portions of the curriculum. And so initially, when I was teaching, that's where that AKT, American Karate Tactics that you mentioned earlier, that's where that came in. It was initially a branch of another system. But as we grew and as we became much more diverse than the system in which it was founded, we were looking dramatically different than the system that we came out of. And so uh, it just got so it was kind of tough trying to ride the fence back and forth on where we're at. And so uh, it, just, it just kind of came to we all it, the leadership came to the conclusion at the time that, that it was time for me to take what I'm teaching and my students, my schools, and go do my own thing and let them do their thing. And so that's kind of the way that it, that it evolved. So it wasn't like I was inspired to to do it or wanted to do it. It's just that was the best thing for me to do because I was uh, oftentimes saying, well, this is how we do it. This is how it's done. This is how I do it. Now you make it so that it works for you. And so I kept on saying things like that. And after a while, I was just like, hey, this is getting old. Um, and so we just uh, just determined that the best thing is to uh, part amicably and um, just kind of do our own thing at that point. And so it's it's kind of been, and it set us on a different course, a different trajectory, you know. So we've been able to do what, um, you know, cut out the stuff that isn't effective for what it's for, you know, 2022, whatever it is this year, <laughs> you know. So if it doesn't work um, anymore, um, we're not going to do it. Um, and we'll continue to grow and continue to evolve. And as, as new things evolve and hopefully 15, 20, 30 years from now, it doesn't look like it does today because I suspect that we'll be fighting differently, using different weapons, different legalities, you know, the way that we martial artists fight today is not the same as it was in 1980. Right. You know, it's just because everybody nowadays thinks that they're an MMA fighter. Everybody today thinks that they're some UFC champion and they've never been punched in the face, but for some reason they think that, you know, they're going to do some crazy takedown and rear naked choke on you. And so self-defense of today is different than it was you know, 20 or 30 years ago, um, you know, shoot back in the old days, there was some, at least there was some sort of, uh, code amongst, you know, thugs, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, but now it's, it's just so different. So I'm hoping that, um, AKT Combative Jiu Jitsu will, uh, look different 50 years from now when I'm dead and gone. Um, and all of our black belts know that our combatives council knows that our board of directors knows it. Um, and so um, hopefully we continue to remain relevant for the era in which uh, it's being used. Yeah. I can, like, I can highly agree with what you're saying. Like what things that happened years ago, it changed from what today, mostly because of technology, like everybody's like filming their fights and putting right, it on yeah. YouTube and, you know, people that don't even know martial arts, they learn from what they see from YouTube. Or, but, yeah. Right. It's like, really, it's like they would know, don't know how to do it properly, but yet they do it anyway, because they, right. they see that they know how to beat somebody, or at least they, if they see you yeah. and then they know how you fight. So, right. yeah. And they're willing to try things that they weren't willing to do before. Cause they've seen it before, you know, where a lot of times, you know, back, 50 years ago, they never saw anything like that, except that, you know, I had to go to a movie theater to watch, you know, something like that, um, you know, or a hundred years ago or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, so we just kind of have to evolve, you know, even from a self-defense perspective, like you said, everybody's got a phone and a camera now. So we have to, the way that we teach self-defense, 
uh, has to be a little bit different because now there's the liability because we live in such a litigious society uh, that what we would teach right out of the gate for somebody before to do, you better be cautious now because somebody's going to be filming it and um, it may be perceived totally differently than the way that you perceived it. And it's probably going to be shown in court. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the thing with our black belt tests. Like really like when I took my first black belt test, like from um, when I first took it back in 2004 and then the, my last black belt test when I took it in um, 2019, like I can say those two were different. Well, mostly because I was going for a different rank. I was going for my sure. first degree in 2004 versus going for my fourth degree in um, 2019. And, you know, we're just constantly changing. Well, not saying changing, we're constantly evolving the black belt test. We want to at least for those who are going for black belt, we want them to show them like how would a black belt defend themselves so, right yeah so in that case like you should be tired you should be sucking wind you should be sweating like a horse and yeah. yet and you should be like like showing us do you want to live like right. that's a, yeah yeah for for me i think that your black belt test should probably be the most difficult thing that you've done in your life oh yeah push you to the edge where you just think you cannot go one more step and to realize that you've probably got more in the tank than what you think you do. And it needs to, to me, it needs to be a pivotal, pivotal moment in your training. It needs to be a pivotal moment in your career. I've seen too many black belts who think that they never truly earned their black belt because their test was kind of a coast, you know, that they kind of cruised through and it really was not that much of a challenge. And then they've questioned it for decades. Did they really earn that black belt and it kind of plays head games i think for some people who don't feel like that they were really pushed to their max on their test and i think we do our students a disservice if they're not pushed to the max on their black belt test yeah it's like really it's like and they add then it's just like asking i just i'm here to get my black belt but um the question would be are you here to get a black belt or are you here to show us that you can fight like a black belt so that's, right, the, yeah. that's the true question that you should ask the students like the first time they step in the studio or in a dojo. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, don't, yeah, don't step, don't uh, show up for your black belt test as a brown belt or a red belt or whatever system it is that, that, that you're in, you know, you need to be showing up at your black belt test as a black belt, you know, you need to be thinking and moving and fighting like a black belt. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, just thinking about like this um, past convention, you know, I pretty much felt so geared up for like my next rank because, you know, I'm trying to take in everything. Like I should say it, a good martial art or should I say a great martial artist would like be perfect in their own style. But I say a true martial artist would go beyond what they what they're doing now. So for mm-hmm. me, I want to go beyond of what I know, at least like you say, for my art teacher says the way you could be a good bomb or a true artists you gotta go beyond what you know so that means you gotta yeah. know your history so right. really with martial arts i mean i'm trying to like really go re- do research and like like how did things originate so yeah 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 and learn from past the experiences of other people in the past otherwise we kind of learn it at uh the expense of our own students oftentimes you know uh, again in my book i, I talk about that i kind of try to give a case for because it's a pretty thick book, you know, and it's uh, it's more like a textbook, I think, than it is a, what most people perceive as a, as an anatomy book compared to other books on the market. Um, and so I try to preface up front um, that 
this is about education. It's about um, learning these things and learning from other people. And in, in the martial arts, it's so important for those of us that are black belts and instructors is that we know history so that we can convey that to our students. Otherwise, if we don't, we're giving them false information and a false sense of security that could cost them their lives. This isn't, you know, soccer. Most people are going to die because they can't play soccer well. But if you teach somebody self-defense and it's inaccurate or it's ineffective or it's impractical, and then they go out to actually try to use it and they get themselves killed. That's on us as the instructor. That's not on necessarily on the student per se, you know? So, um, yeah. So you need to know your history. You need to know uh, what people have used in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked and, and be able to, to modify it, you know? Um, and I know oftentimes from a traditional perspective, because I, I come from a traditional background um, that oftentimes it's really hard for a traditional martial artist to change and incorporate new information into their curriculum or into their teaching style, into their practice uh, style, because, you know, you don't want to dishonor those that came before you. And it's kind of looked at with a suspicious eye. And there's all these um, just honorific type things and the pageantry that goes along with it that are kind of make it difficult for some people to incorporate those things. And then you've got, you know, you've got confines of, the uh, organization that you're with, that you can't teach certain things and really teach them at certain times. I get all that. And that's how I end up where I'm at today with my own system. I, I understand all of that. So I understand why it's tough, and difficult for a lot of people. But if we look at it from a perspective that it's our responsibility to give our students the most accurate, the most relevant um, and uh, information that we can, as new information is imparted to us, then um, it's, we're obligated to do that. And we're doing them a huge service when we do and a disservice when we don't. Yeah. I mean, I always sit, like tell my students, like, why the, you know why the reason why you're in school, you learn all these subjects, but all those subjects that you learn in school can apply to everything that you do. Like if you're getting a job, one of those subjects can apply to the job that you're going for. So definitely with yeah. martial arts, yeah, there's kind of a science behind it. There's his, historic history behind it, and somewhat uh, there's language and uh, somewhat a math behind that. So, yeah, at least people, there should be, right? Yeah, you know. Otherwise, you're just you know. I've said this a million times. If you don't have all that stuff that you just alluded to, you're just a technician. You're just a parrot. You're just you know mimicking what somebody else is doing. Yeah. You know, uh, there a while back there was this uh, little video that was floating around on social media. And it had this chimpanzee in a karate uniform and he's jumping and doing a jump spin kick on this kick pad. And it kind of looks like a jumping spinning crescent kick or something like that. Yep. I said, okay, yeah. So any monkey can do it, but does the monkey really understand what it is that he's doing? You know, does he really understand the application of what it is, or is he just kind of mimicking what's been taught to him? Mm. Well, yeah, it's an effective kick, but can he break it down? And can he teach that to, to somebody else can he distinguish on when it is that that's appropriate and not appropriate to be using that technique you know frankly if you can be using a jump spinning crescent kick in a street fight it's probably not self-defense it's probably a street fight you know so yeah, yeah that sounds like charlie the chimp um yeah the late charlie yeah the chimp. maybe yeah. so yeah, yeah i yeah. guess maybe that's what it was that that, that sounds familiar yeah yeah i know because um i'm definitely good friends with um Carmen Presti. So yeah, definitely. He's uh, a, okay. yeah, he's a good man. I mean, really, I never yeah. got to meet um Charlie the Chimps. I wish I could, but you know, 
the fact that um the late Charlie the Chimp was definitely that's the chimp people talking about doing karate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right with that. Yeah. All right, so let's see what I can now saw. All right, so going into like um competition. Yeah, you said you did like it's like competition aside with jujitsu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the format that we compete for well, first of all, for many years, um, we didn't compete. Um because it was mostly what was around was point karate, point sparring. Um, and then there was continuous sparring, but there was and then, there, you know, obviously there was grappling, but there was nothing that was integrated short of short of MMA bouts. But, you know, prior to 1993, there wasn't even that. And so um, it was either stand up that was point or boxing or kickboxing um, or just grappling, but nothing was integrated together. And, you know, a lot of people when it when MMA started, you know, with UFC and all that type of stuff, most people don't want to fight full contact in the ring like that because most people have to work, you know, the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but, uh, so sport jujitsu is a rule set. It's not a style. It's a rule set that allows anybody from any style to compete against somebody else from another style, um, where you've got stand up striking, you've got throws, you've got grappling all integrated together. So the rule set is set so that you could fight if you're just a pure stand-up striker and you don't have a ground game. You could fight somebody who's a pure grappler who doesn't have a stand-up game. So if you're strong enough with your stand-up striking, then you should be able to use that. If you're if you're a grappler and you don't have a stand-up striking game, then you should be able to use that. And so um, the it's kind of like the continuous stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen sport jujitsu uh, before, but essentially it's like MMA with um, with a gi on. And so to me, it's, it's more technical. Um, it's faster paced. There's only, um, de- depending on the, the division and the age, um, there's only 20 to 30 seconds on the ground at a time. So you have to get a submission within the 20 to 30 seconds or you're back up on your feet. And so, um, and you start again. And that doesn't mean you can't go back down again if somebody tries to take you back down. But if you don't have a strong ground game, then don't allow the person to take you down. Use your kicks, use your punches, use your your range, use your footwork to cut the angles. Um, and if you're a, a grappler that doesn't have a, a good striking game, then you better know how to defend your head and keep your hands up and protect your face, right? Uh, and so uh, the the majority of the, the competitions that we compete in is are sanctioned by the American Sport Jiu-Jitsu League. And uh, so... We've been competing uh, in sport jujitsu, um, oh gosh, I don't know how many years now, but ultimately we've sent folks to the world championships and have had uh, competitors on the uh, U.S. national teams that have competed at world championships. And um, I think we've probably got 10, I think, world champions in black belt and under black belt uh, divisions. Um, so I think it's a really fun way of, of competing. Um, it, it's, it's not the stop and go. Um, I just think that for me personally, because we are more of a reality-based system, um, I just know that I learned long ago when I actually had to use myself, my martial arts for self-defense, that the stop and go after you get the point develops bad habits. You know, and um, I know that a lot of folks have um, kind of, started going towards the continuous sparring aspect. Um, 
And we've actually incorporated a continuous stand-up sparring division within the American Sport Jiu-Jitsu League, but it's by points. You use a clicker. So there's three yep. judges and a center ref and using clickers to, to um, award the points. And then you tally the points at the end of each, each round rather than like a 10-point must system where it's very arbitrary and, and very subjective. Um, so uh, because I know a lot of times with the continuous sparring, uh, at least some of the tournaments that I've competed in the past, it just is who's the most aggressive. It doesn't matter whether the techniques land or whether they're effective techniques. I can just brawl for, you know, two minutes. And if I brawl more than the other person, it's not going to work. In sport jiu-jitsu, in the American Sport Jiu-Jitsu League, they have to be effective techniques. They have to land. If you're just throwing this flurry, you get one point for the flurry for the initial punch, not for 10 ineffective punches. And so different points for a head kick, a different, you know, a different point for a, uh, a body kick and, and for punches, different levels of points for throws, even how dynamic the throw is, um, and, uh, points for ground stuff and, uh, submissions. So it's much more fun. I like it more, uh, and, uh, keeps our students really interested as well. Again, we're really always talking about self-defense, but sometimes you just want to get out on the mat and test it outside of class and see how it's working against other people that you've never trained with before. And plus, you know, you know how it is when you're competing against people around the country, around the world, you just develop these relationships that you just don't get elsewhere, you know, and you can duke it out and, and uh, punch somebody in the face and then you hug afterwards and then you're friends for life, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had it happen many times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. One of my guests that I had on the show. Yeah. Well, we was talking about like um how he knocked me out, like not temp like temporarily. And then of course I got back up and finished the fight, but no, we kind of laugh you. about it now. But yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember like going to tournaments, like uh, of course, Smack Internationals and um, Kumite yeah. Classics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those were the tournaments that um, I yeah. really watched um, that mostly continuous sparring and no, I competed in open um, Kata and, you know, and with weapon, yeah, that's what. Yeah. Which Smack International are you talking about? The one is it? Um, it's up in your neck of the woods, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, I competed in that years ago. Oh my gosh! Um, when I first moved back to New York, so I'm thinking it was like, um, oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago. Because they've been doing that for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, the last one I went to was 2019. And yeah. that was like before I did my pretest for the fourth degree. I, I can remember okay. perfectly. So okay. that was the last um, Smack International that I went to. Then after that, the pandemic dropped. And from there, okay. I think that's, um, I think, um, I don't know if they, that they're doing anymore, but uh, that was like, that was like. Because I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like 20 some years ago. Is that, is that, they've been around that long? They've been doing it that long? Huh, I'm not sure. Like, I mean. I started competing. Is it, is it SMAC? Is that, is that the one? Smack? Yeah. yeah. Is that the one it is? Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking. I think that's the one. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a different one, but that I'm, kind of, I'm kind of thinking that's that's the one. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So before we kind of get to our um, hidden dojo of segment, here's the last question. Uh, okay. Inspirational quote do you want uh, describes your journey? Oh, inspirational quote. Oh my goodness. There's just so many that's out there. I guess it depends on, um, <laughs> this isn't probably an inspirational quote, but it just comes to mind out in the ice wall. I'll just throw it out there. Somebody told me one time when somebody's giving you advice, um, eat the meat and spit out the bones. <laughs> so that's not inspirational, but it just kind of comes to mind of, 
for me. And I, I think the point is use what works for you and don't be bound inside of a box that uh, a lot of people place you in. Um, so you just kind of have to work, what, you know, what works for you and, and uh, what doesn't. Um, and just because something's meat for somebody doesn't mean it's necessarily uh, meat for you. Um, but, you know, I'm just the kind of guy that's always an outside the box kind of person anyway. Uh, and so it's, I'm always looking at a different way of approaching things and, and making it so that it works for me or works for um, those that I'm trying to teach and, and inspire. So that's probably not the type of inspirational quote you're thinking, though, I suspect. <laughs> hey, yeah, but but it inspires what... me oftentimes. How's that? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, when we get in our hidden dojo um, segment, then, uh, of course, there's... A, oh, hidden a, a dojo. Question. Now I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, this is the fun part of the interview. So, yeah, okay. I'm going to ask you seven questions, and then, of course, you answer okay. them at the best of your ability. All okay. right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at the hidden dojo of our segment. So here we dun, go. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first question would be the best advice you ever gotten and who said it. So I know you said uh, you mentioned that um inspirational quotes uh say uh, eat the eat the meat and spit out the bones. Out so, the bones, yeah. Okay, yeah. so all right. So, so what's the question? What's the best advice? I guess because I've thought about eat the meat, spot the bones, I guess this one would be um that kind of goes along with that. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. I don't know who said it. I know who told it to me, but uh, he was quoting somebody else. I think it was a book that was out at the time. And, you know, just because of my former life, being in medicine and doing orthopedics and on call every third night and every third weekend, and you're trying to, to be a good husband, a good father, a good instructor, a good everything with so many plates, so many things on my plate at the time, you know, I used to kid and say, I feel like the, I've got the circus music playing in my head all the time and I'm juggling and what ball am I going to drop next? You know, the whole dun 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 type thing, you know. <laughs> and he said, you know what, just quit putting so much pressure on you. Um, uh, just don't sweat the small stuff. He said, you know what, you know what's big stuff? Big stuff is relationships. That's big stuff. The birth of your child, that's big stuff. You know, death of your parents, that's big stuff. Everything else, that's small stuff. You know, when you look at it in the grand scheme of what's big stuff, you know, you realize, okay, yeah, I don't need to sweat about that. I can put that on the shelf for tonight and let that rest. And I don't need to chew on that all night long and lose sleep. I'm just not going to sweat the small stuff anymore. So that's yeah. kind of, again, nothing that's, uh, you know, probably earth shattering for a lot of people. But it, but for me at the time, it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. The next one, usually people don't get this one. Um, the worst advice you've ever gotten. Oh my gosh, the worst advice. Most people don't get it. So you, are you challenging me? Is that the deal? So well, since most people don't. Well most, well, most people don't get this one. It's like they either don't get of the worst advice or they can't think of the worst advice oh, you they know, got. Okay, so this has evolved over time for me. I can think of a situation where, where um, it, it seemed like it was bad advice at the time, but now I'm kind of glad that, that I took it. So years ago, I didn't go in the army until I was out of high school for several years. And part of it was because I wanted to continue to train in martial arts. And I ran into an old teacher um, or a former teacher, I guess I should say. Um, and I'd been, like I said, I'd been out of high school for several years. I was teaching martial arts. I was a department manager at a grocery store, you know, like most of us did at the time. You're working a full-time job and you're teaching part-time. And, and he said, well, what are you doing? You know, what do you want to do with your life? And um, and he was also a former Boy Scout leader at the time. And uh, I said, well, I, I think I want to I, I do martial arts full time. I want to I have a full time martial arts school. 
He said, what? You want to do that? You can't make any money doing that. You're going to starve. And it derailed me. It derailed my mindset. And within probably four months, I joined the army. And, um, and so for years, I thought, gosh, you know, had I not taken his advice and just was opened my school and just taught full-time, where would I be now with my martial arts school and my martial arts training and, and schools and students and all that type of stuff. But, you know, my wife had told me uh, probably 10 years ago, because uh, it's been 14 years since I closed my practice and teaching full-time um, because I had a part-time school and I was teaching, I had my practice. And so I'd be seeing patients during the day and maybe go to a private lesson, go back and see patients, go back and teach at night. And I just couldn't do that because the school grew so much that I couldn't do two full-time gigs. And I was an empty nester at the time. Um, and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to pull the trigger on teaching full-time, I've got to close the practice and go full bore and really follow the passion that I want to do all these years. And I did it. And I'm glad that I did it. Um, and it's been such a great, rewarding um, life change. And so for there was a period of time where I was kind of resentful of my, I guess, derailment of, of doing medicine. Again, even though I was, tra- I was training and, and teaching during that time, um, I was kind of resentful of it. And my wife said, but look at the experience that you're giving your students that most instructors can't give their students, like the anatomy. And now with this book, yeah, I guess I, I guess it paid off. But the bad advice at the time was was this guy that told me don't follow. He said she's telling me don't follow your passion. You know, don't follow, don't teach full time. Um, and because he he was he played it safe, so I guess he thought that I should play it safe as well. So that was bad advice for me at the time. Um, but uh, it it ultimately helped. But here I am back doing what he told me not to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Did I meet the challenge as far as nobody else answering that? Um, but, uh, but it worked for me, you know? So I, I guess that was one of those things where you take um, lemons and make lemonade, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess with um, passion, what it says, don't follow your passion. It, it fixes saying, I mean, following your passion is not a real job, but you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way and that's, and that's okay. Um, you know, he didn't come around and say, don't follow your passion, obviously, but in hindsight, that's what he's telling me. Because like, I'm telling him how passionate I'm about it, how you know I see lives change and how it changed my life. Um, and so I want to be able to help other people with that same thing that that helped me. Um, but when you tell somebody, you know, don't follow that dream, you're trying to tell them, don't follow your passion. And I, and I think that a lot of people, um, I guess they they think if, if you love it so much, that or you like doing it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it for a job. I don't know. It's just kind of weird sometimes um, where people feel that you have to suffer, you know, and, and, it's, and it's prevalent in the martial art community too. I think a lot of people, they, they feel like if, uh, if I'm doing it full time, then I've got to water something down or I have to um, be a McDojo or something like that. And you don't have to, you don't have, you don't have to um, give up your virtues and your integrity just because you're teaching full time. You know, be passionate about it and continue to hold, make people toe the line. Yeah, yeah kind of so, off on a tangent there. Sorry about that. Oh no, that. But really, like, really, your passion, like, you want to help people, like, grow. It's like, you know, the problems happen out with um the killings and all the shootings. Like, yeah. you want you want your students. I mean, you can't be a vigilante, like, 
like Batman or anything, but you yeah. know, you just got to be that person that says, um, Hey, this is a better way you can do your life. You don't have to do be go out there and do and be out in the streets. I mean, yeah. you, you want to be in a good place, but you know, um, this is probably going to be off topic a bit, but, but you just reminded me, you know, in, in martial arts, when you're talking about the shootings and that type of stuff, we are like in a really miserable place societally right now, you know? Yeah. And how many places besides dojo do we get to have people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different social economic classes, different religions, all on the mat at the same time training and nobody cares. You sweat on each other, you bleed on each other, and you realize this is this real person. I better get rid of the baggage that I've got that I perceived about that person and realize that we're brothers, man, you know, and mm-hmm. we've got, you know, more similarities than we do differences. And the differences, I thrive in those differences, you know, the cultural differences and things like that. It'd be a pretty boring existence if everybody was like me. Believe me, I'm a boring guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> But, uh, you know, so, you know, we talk about the, the cultural, sh- you know, the, the stresses and the shootings, you know, especially, you know, Niagara Falls and you guys are going through some rough times up there. Yeah, no, really. It's like, um, for me, it's like, I don't want to be out late. So really, I yeah. just want to be home safe. Right. I mean, this is why I usually tell my students, like, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about what you're going to do when you get home. You should be thinking about if I'm going to make it home. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a bad place to be. You know, that really yeah. stinks. And, you know, especially anybody of color having to think, oh, my gosh, hopefully I don't get pulled over. You know, it's yeah. just tough. Well, there's always Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not too far for you. You yeah, can probably low crawl that far. <laughs> yeah. My brother um, currently lives over there on um, uh, Mount Hope. I mean, him, his wife okay. and his kids. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Damn, I can't believe my niece is going to be 15 next month. Is that Ooh, right? Yeah. Ooh. Good for you. Yeah, I haven't seen Good her two her. years. Yeah, I haven't seen her two years. I mean, but, Oh, is that yeah. right? Oh, yeah, because of COVID, you can't go back and forth, right? Yeah, well, I could go over to now. So really, so once her 15th um, birthday comes, I'm going to at least see her. So, yeah. Oh, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> hey. All right, here's the next question. Guilty pleasure. How do you reward yourself? Guilty pleasure. Um, hanging out with friends. You know, um, I'm really fortunate that um, my wife is a martial artist as well. um, And a lot of our friends are martial artists. um, And it's just hanging out. But when we hang out, it doesn't always have to be martial arts related stuff, you know. Um, But just having that relationship where I know that that people have your back, you've got their back, building relationships with people. um, So that's kind of that's that's it for me, I guess. It's a guilty pleasure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most people say they're guilty pleasures like um they um you know the pizza the chicken wings yeah all that. yeah that's a, but you know that's a good guilty pleasure like really yeah. you reward yourself by hanging out with your friends you know all the work is done so why just relax and really yeah. kind of talk with friends and s- talk about life yeah yeah and I guess probably the other reward would be you know is not putting something on my calendar I kid all the time I live and die by my Google calendar. And um, if it's not on my calendar, because I just have so many, like I said, so many balls in the air all the time, um, is that, uh, you know, especially lately now, this book has gone to press and it's available. I'm not working till three o'clock in the morning trying to get things done. Um, But uh, if I can clear a day on my calendar, jump on the motorcycle, go for a ride, you know, that's that's a good day. (laughs) 
All right. Next question. Uh, what famous movie would you want to be in? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm probably dating myself. Um, well, I'm sure I've already dated myself numerous times here. I don't know if you would remember this one. Um, I think it was it a force of one, a Chuck Norris flick with Bill Wallace. Do you, are you even familiar with that? I think it was like 1978, 1979 or something. Well, like if, well if I'm not, I always can um, um, see it on um, YouTube or. Yeah, check or, it out. I think, I think it was a force of one. It's the one where Bill Wallace and Chuck Norris when it was in it. And it's kind of this uh, kickboxing thing. And so I, I really liked it because it was a kickboxing thing. And plus Bill Wallace was, you know, I was really um, um, just a, a great fan of his back in the day. And, you know, back then on regular network television, there was, you know, wide world of sports and they'd have kickboxing you know on saturdays and sundays where you could watch kickboxing on uh you know pka kickboxing different rule sets and so bill wallace is a was one of the guys i like to watch and then so he was in uh force of one and um he played the bad guy uh, i don't know if you ever met bill wallace um oh. and heard, uh, well, heard a lot of them I heard a lot okay of so them, yeah. you know, superfoot right and yeah. actually actually his his book was one of the first martial arts books I ever bought, you know, that was a long, long time ago. And um, so I think it was like a dynamic kicking or something like that. Uh, and so I just really liked him. And so, and plus I liked kickboxing and I did kickboxing as well. And uh, so it was, a, it was like about this kickboxing ring uh, or kickboxing circuit and Bill Walsh was a bad guy, got involved in drugs and, you know, obviously Chuck Norris ended up kicking his butt in the end. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, again, I'm dating myself. It was probably, and it wasn't one of his better movies either, I don't think. <laughs> but you know, hey, back then you're seeing guys kicking each other in a ring. Then uh, I was kind of inspired by that. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Like I said, I got to go watch that movie. I mean, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. So yeah, yeah I'm sure it is. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Secret Talent. Secret talent. Um, I don't know. I got a secret talent. I can juggle in my head. That's about it. Uh, um, I was trying to start to learn to play harmonica. How's that? Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's actually on my bucket list. You know, so um, yeah, I just actually be able to play harmonica. I, I, I get this um, kind of this uh, sensation that if I, you've got to be able to be calmed down, and you've got to be able to have some sense of uh, piece i guess to to play harmonica unless i guess i guess unless you're playing the blues or something but uh, i i kind of envisioned this um you know sitting on a log out in the woods playing a harmonica it just kind of brings some peace to me i guess <laughs> so, so i've played with that for a little bit a few years back and that's still actually on my bookshelf next to me here i've got uh, some harmonica books and, and three different harmonicas that I, hopefully i can master at some point yeah, imagine that they made a new movie of Deliverance. Um, instead of a dueling banjos, it'd be dueling, <laughs> dueling harmonicas. There you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't want to be in that one though. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, G dream celebrity encounter. Dream celebrity encounter. You know, I'm. I think I'm weird in this aspect. Um, I'm not really enamored with celebrity. You know that I that, that I would dream about. You know, I like meeting people, um, but I just celebrity doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, I like down to earth people that are just normal Joes like you and I. Um, yep. That's just the way that I am. Um, 
you know, I've met a lot of celebrities, but none of them are dream encounters. I just want people that are real and, and uh, can have a real relationship with, you know, so that's probably not what you normally hear, but uh, yeah. Oh, for me, I'm, I'm just a nerd. I mean, I like definitely meeting famous people. I mean, I, yeah. I, I know they I like, I don't see them like, um, like people that make a million dollars. I see them like a normal person. Like that's yeah, how it, Yeah. There asshole. you go. So when I'm like actually meet celebrities, I mean, I'm just talking to them like normals, like, how, yeah. how you doing? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And if you can do that, they probably appreciate that most often, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually I'm good with celebrities, like pretty much with Walker, Texas Rangers. I probably let, let probably any celebrity that was on that show. I Is that right? Make an account. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, um, so. I met Chuck Norris and Bill Wallace years and years ago, back when I think it was Good Guys Wear Black came out again. I think it was, that was probably 1978 or something yeah. like that. And so they were kind of doing the circuit at the time. And they were going to um, uh, karate tournaments at the time, you know, kind of doing promos for, for the movie. And, uh, or was that, that must have been a force of one. And so anyway, um, so I met, um, everybody was more intrigued with meeting Chuck Norris and I was wanting to meet Bill Wallace, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> because to me, you know, Bill Wallace was the real deal. He, not that Chuck Norris was not, it's just that I liked kickboxing and Bill Wallace was a kickboxer, you know, so, <laughs> and unfortunately I've been able to train with him a few times since then, you know, so that makes it fun too. Yeah. Um, definitely Chuck Norris is a down to earth person, really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that him, makes it nice when they're like that. Yeah, him yeah. and his brother, definitely Aaron Norris. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, right. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron's been in some of his flicks too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's the final question. Uh, 10 years from now. Oh my gosh, 10 years from now. Um, hopefully I'm still here in 10 years. Uh, I guess that would probably be a good a good thing. Um, well, there's still some things I want to do uh, within martial arts. I'm actually working on a research project that um, is it's an armbar research project. And so what we did, I started it um, 2019, got put on hold because of COVID because we have to actually be doing arm bars on people and you couldn't do the contact for a couple of years. Um, and so <clears throat> what we're doing is evaluating the most efficient and effective way of executing a straight arm bar. And it's oftentimes taught one way, um, but again, it comes down to understanding anatomy. And so what we're doing is we evaluated, um, did arm bars on 100 people, and it was 30 arm bars on each of those people. And so did had 100 arms, we did arm bars on, and we measured the kilograms of force. So we used what's called a dynamometer to measure the kilograms of force on their arm um, with the force vector going in different directions and the hand position in different directions. So the forearm in different directions measuring the most effective and efficient way to um, do it where the pain was that they felt when they tapped um, and so i'm trying to get that completed and uh, so that um, we're actually applying science to what it is that we're teaching in martial arts um, and also hopefully that um, i'm going to try to get to get it published in medical orthopedic sports medicine journals as well as well as martial arts magazines um, and so I hope to get that off my plate. Um, 10 years, I'm hoping that um, 
I can sit back and coast a little bit and and watch my students continue to grow. My black belts continue to open their schools um, and uh, travel the country, um, teaching seminars and um, and checking on schools, doing the same thing I'm doing, I guess, is the point. Uh, Ten years from now, hopefully I'm doing the same thing because I, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to make a real solid career change this late in my life, um, which was relatively late when I jumped ship from medicine to teaching full time, that I'm able to do this and make a living doing it and um, touch touch so many people's lives. Um, I feel really fortunate that, that I'm able to do this because a lot of people, as you know, wish that they could teach full time and they just can't. You just can't do it, especially with COVID and everything else. It's just so many how many schools do you know that closed down because of that never to open again? It was yeah. just really, it was really devastating. So I love what I'm doing so much in my life now that I hopefully I'm doing the same thing 10 years from now, I guess, long story short. Yeah. All right. So before we kind of close up, uh, is there any last minute words you'd like to tell our listeners out there? Oh my. Um, yeah, I guess continue to be a lifelong learner. Um, be a perpetual student, no matter what your rank is. Um, don't be afraid to learn something new and don't be afraid to take that new information and integrate it into what it is that you're doing now. Um, it's um, I know that learning is hard as we get older and some people say you can't teach a dog, old dog, new tricks. Um, but I think that you can, if that old dog is willing to, to learn and be open and uh, not have biases to what they perceive um, to be new. So um, just be a lifelong learner. Enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy life. Um, have fun with what it is that you're doing. And I think oftentimes in martial arts, we take ourselves so serious that um, it kind of takes the fun out of it sometimes. You know, I, I kid a lot of times when, I, when I'm traveling and teaching seminars and you get group photos. And um, it's like I'm only the, the only guy in the group photos that's laughing or smiling. Everybody else has these real serious looks. I was like, come on guys, lighten up. You know, we're all friends here. We're not trying to kill each other. We don't need to intimidate people, you know, just because we're martial artists doesn't mean you have to scare somebody. So don't take ourselves so serious. Have fun. Be a lifelong learner. I guess that would probably be the, the, the final words. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining me for the kick pod. So definitely, hopefully everything goes well for you with the future and uh thank you TJ. definitely i'll have this um all published and then get this on the get this on the air <laughs> great sounds good thanks tj thanks for having me i look forward to be able to hook up with you soon all right let's do this closing of this uh podcast uh for those who just tuned into this episode uh, please tune into my previous episodes on bicbpradio.com apple Podcasts, and spotify and i'll see you next time for another episode here at the um, kick pod this is your host tj williams bowing you out